that go nowhere. Would you know it that this week I had an appointment and I was at one place and my appointment was just directly east of where I was. And I did not want to go up to the main boulevard and slip over back and come down again. Right where I was, there was a nice-looking street, and I was sure that street would go right straight through to where I wanted to go, because after all, it was a nice, wide street with lots of nice houses on it. So I turned into that street. You guessed it. I wandered around for five minutes in a housing place trying to get out of it, finally back to where I started from and up to the boulevard and up to the next one and then down again because I was on a street, beautiful as it was, it was going nowhere. In the seventh chapter of this book of Ecclesiastes, our lesson is in the seventh chapter today, and you know, I sort of pray when I teach the book of Ecclesiastes, and I start out, I sort of pray that before I get to the seventh chapter, God would tear it out and throw it away. There's some problems connected with it. When I first told somebody I was going to teach on the book of Ecclesiastes, he said, Harold, I'm going to be there when you teach the seventh chapter and the 28th verse. Look at it, will you? For which I still seeking, but have not found. I have found one man among a thousand, but I have not found a woman among all these. How would you like to teach that? You pray for me next week, huh? <laughs> There's another one. Look up at verse 16. Do not be excessively righteous. Verse 17. Do not be excessively wicked. This chapter is full of them. You look at the 29th verse, however, I want you to focus because this verse gives us the key theme of chapters 6 and 7 and 8 of this book. Behold, I have found only this that God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices. God created Adam, and he created Adam upright. And all Adam had to do was walk with God. But rather than walk with God, God Adam chose his own way. He sought out his own path, and we's in the mess we're in because of it. It's also true of us who have been born again. We have been made new creatures in Christ Jesus. We have been recreated in righteousness and true holiness in Christ, our wonderful Lord. Our sins have been forgiven. We have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We have started walking with God. But oh, the terrible tragedy is that each one of us proceeds to invent or to choose the way we're going to walk with God. And all too often, instead of walking on the street called straight that leads to eternal life, we walk in paths that go nowhere. And our Christian lives stall out our Christian growth comes to an end, and we're faced with problems. Last week we saw the first of these. 
It was a sin that was common to man, a sin that is common to us because, and we call it Main Street because it's so common to us. And that is when we are deceived into thinking that the blessings which God gives to us will satisfy our hearts and fail to recognize that fact that God has so constituted man and has put eternity in the heart of man. And man cannot be satisfied with things, even those things that are the blessing of God, they cannot satisfy the heart of man unless that man is walking hand in hand with God. We need not his blessings, we need the blesser. And the common evil is to think that the blessings will do it. And now in chapter 7, we enter into another one. Some time ago, in fact, years ago, I made my first trip to California. And like all people from the East, I wanted to see a little bit of this place called Hollywood and, and especially where they made films. And I asked for a way to go see them, and I was taken on a set. And I had my first experience of a Hollywood set. I was standing on a, a street. There was a bank. There were three houses. There was a church. There was a saloon. There was a grocery store on this street. The trouble is, when you went into the bank, there was nothing there. When you went into the house, you were in open air. Went through the door of the church, nothing. It was all a front. As I read this some time ago, this chapter of seven came to my mind. Solomon didn't know it, but he's describing Hollywood Boulevard. I'm not talking about that street up in Hollywood. I'm talking about what I just mentioned there. Those streets that are made of just fronts and how easy it is in the Christian life to get away from the reality of walking with Christ and putting on a front. How easy it is. And that's what he starts out with if you look in chapter 7, verse 1. A good name is better than good ointment. And the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Right there, look at that one. A good name is better than a good ointment. A good name, we understand that, don't we? It's talking about our reputation. It's talking about our public image, a good public image. But what's this other part? He says it's better than good ointment, a good ointment. Now that word to us is a medicinal word, but if you would look back in the original, you discover that it's not that word at all. It's the word for perfume, perfume. It's actually using the word that is the historical basis for the whole cosmetic industry. 
A good name is better than cosmetics. We Americans have become acculturated to cosmetics. Gentlemen, you were very careful this morning before you came out. You see? You used the latest, latest deodorant soap, the latest deodorant spray, the latest deodorant mouthwash. You made sure you had the right kind of clothes on. Ten years ago, they wouldn't work. See? Very conscious, weren't you? Getting dressed this morning. Ladies, oh, you've heard the saying, I wouldn't be caught dead out of my house without my face on. Hey. Yes. How much we lean on cosmetics. Some of you young people understand the real value of cosmetics as you go along. Hey. How much? Now, even in the Christian world, we become acculturated to cosmetic Christianity. You know, watch a new believer come in and start fellowshipping with the church. Oh, they soon discover that we in the church here, we use a special language, and they quickly learn the language. They don't know what the words mean. They don't understand the spiritual impulse behind them, but they learn the language. They learn, too, that we Christians have a way of reacting to things. There are some things we're happy with and some things we're against. And they catch on right away quick. And they learn what to be happy with and what to be against. But very quickly, new Christian, born, new born-again believers take on the cosmetic of the Christian community. The tragic thing is that the ultimate cosmetic is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy comes from that word of meaning a mask. It was a mask that the people in the ancient plays used to do. One man would have several parts, and as he would read one part, he'd put one mask on. As he'd read the next part, he'd put a different mask on. And it isn't long before Christians learn that if we're going to get along with one another within the body of Christ and be accepted in the body of Christ, we, there, there are certain ways we have to talk. There are certain things we have to do. There are certain approaches we have to make. Well, for example, you've got to be on church on Sunday morning, don't you? And you have to be in a Bible study, and you have to be discipled. And, you know, if you're not these things, oh, my, what are you? And you, we put on these cosmetic things. When God wants to scream at us through the word of Solomon, a good name is better than cosmetics. Don't learn the language. Learn the spiritual truth. The great thing that God is interested in is that you and I be disciplined by the Word of God. We learn it. We assimilate it into our hearts. And we let the Word of God transform us. The thing that God is concerned about is that we learn to walk in the Spirit. Oh, it's so easy to do the things of the flesh. And we can have a name built upon doing the things of the flesh. And if we're smart, 
and we put on the right spiritual cosmetics, we can get a name for even being spiritual as we put on that mask of cosmetics. Oh, dear ones, God wants you to surrender to the control of the Holy Spirit that the Spirit of God may take the Word of God and transform your thinking and transform your feelings about things and transform your attitudes about things and transform your convictions about things and give you a spiritual understanding and give you the fruits of the Spirit so that your name can be based upon the fruits of the Spirit in your life rather than the conforming to the cosmetics of the congregation. God warns us. Beware of the one-way street that goes nowhere of cosmetic Christianity. The second is in verse 1 also, if you look at it. It's a hard one to really understand, isn't it? The day of one's death is better than the day of one's birthday. How many of you celebrate birthdays in your home? One. How many celebrate birthdays? Put them up there. That's it. Look at the hand. Put them down. How many of you have ever celebrated a funeral? Yeah, there's one hand, two hands, yeah. How many? I got a man called me up the other day and he said, Oh, pastor, what a terrible tragedy. I say, what's the tragedy? So-and-so died. I said, praise God, she's with the Lord. What's a tragedy? To go to be with the Lord? That's a tragedy. Huh? Oh, but we read this and we say, you can't really believe that now, do you? That the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth? Can't I? Can't we? Shouldn't we? Would you listen to the Apostle Paul over in the book of Philippians? Turn with me there to the book of Philippians. And in chapter 1 of the book of Philippians, and will you look please, in chapter 1 and verse 21, for to me to live is Christ. To me to live is Christ. And to die is what? Gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, for that is very much better. Notice what he said. To depart and to be with Christ is very much better, yet... To remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. What is he saying to us? He's saying to us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that you and I ought to recognize that the greatest, we have the greatest prospect of all, the prospect of going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. But if I were to ask how many would like to get on a bus and go today, how many takers would I get? Not very many, would it? You know, we don't like death. We're afraid of death. Why not? Why are we afraid of death? After all, why are we afraid of going to heaven? 
Well, one lady, I think, put it very well. I'm not afraid of going to heaven. I just don't like the door I have to walk through to get there. See, death is an enemy. Death can be painful. We as believers, we are thrilled with the blessed hope of the rapture. We're looking for the upper taker, and we don't want anything to do with the undertaker. <laughs> Paul is, however, looking at it from a different perspective. He said, I law, he said, to die is gain, but to live is for Christ. And he said, if I'm living, I'm living because of the fruitful ministry that God is going to give me, and I'm struggling between the two. I'm pressed, and I'm struggling between the two, the desire to be with Christ, but to remain and to have a fruitful ministry with you, which is far better. And this is the attitude that he is asking us. Are you running away from death? As you live this present life, is it just filled with the earth? Is that the way you're living it? If so, my dear friend, you're on a street that is going nowhere. If you would die today, how much would you leave? How much would you take? Would you throw your arms wide and say, praise God, I'm going? Or would you start and weep and say, oh, look what I'm leaving? My friend, it depends on what street you're walking on. You see? What is your real perspective of the street you're walking on? Does it remind you of earth or heaven? Are you banking in glory or banking here? Are you building for there? Are you building for here? What is the street you're walking on? Life lived now in the light of heaven gives one a proper perspective and balance. Life lived otherwise is a street that goes nowhere, even for a Christian. And then he points out another thing to us in verse 2, equally difficult to understand. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, because that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. The house of mourning. We call them mortuaries, funeral parlors. The house of feasting. What's that? Well, if you could read it in the original language, you'd have no difficulty. The word feasting does not mean getting together with some friends for a good meal and a good laugh. It's not talking about that at all. The word for feasting there is the word for drinking bout. It's the thing that Belshazzar did. You remember? In the book of Daniel when he gathered the people and drank their wine and their liquor out of the vessels of the house of God, the drinking bout. The best way to put this is if you would translate this verse into modern English, it is better to go to the funeral parlor than to the bar. That's what he's saying. Why? He said, because the living learn. They learn about the reality of life in the funeral parlor. In the bar, they are drugged into unconsciousness and don't face reality. That's what he's saying. 
The house of mourning puts things into their proper perspective. Their things are weighed and put into balance. The bar blots out reality with drugs. The bar is called the poor man's club. Have you ever noticed what a club is? A club is a place where lonely people go to be with other lonely people and sit in their loneliness and walk into any bar at any time. You find the same thing. In spite of the loud laughter, the only time there's real smiles on a bar is when they're making a beer commercial there. And the rest of the time, it's a place of real dreariness. And he says, listen, he said it is better to understand the things of life and to recognize them than to be made just wiped out with drugs. I long ago, a family called me and they said, oh, we're having trouble, Pastor, would you please come and talk to us? Our daughter is into drugs. I went over to sat down with the family. We talked a little bit and the mother got up and walked over to her purse and opened the purse, pulled out a bottle and flipped two or three into her mouth. We talked a little bit more and dad said, I'm awfully, I'm under a great strain. Walked over, pulled out a bottle, flipped a little bit, took a shot. We want to talk to you about our daughter who's in drugs. The whole family was in the drug culture. The whole family's involved in it. Christians. But they have gone down that street that will permit them to use the artificial things that make one forget reality rather than sit and face it and let Christ show them the solution in their lives. He points out to another one-way street here. If you look at it, please, it's in verse 3. Sorrow is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. Sorrow versus laughter. Which would you choose? You can say to me, you don't really believe that sorrow is better than laughter. Now, do you? If you understand the text, yes. Sorrow, of course, is not that unwarranted psychotic thing. It's that ordinary sorrow that is unavoidable, that comes into every life and causing conflict in every life, and causing stress in every life, also causing reflection in every life, and causing reevaluation in every life. And it is the minister of God. Laughter. Now, just what is laughter? The Bible tells us that a merry heart makes good like medicine. And there really isn't nothing better than a good, honest-to-goodness belly laugh. Now, is there? Isn't it great to laugh? I love to be with the people of God because, you know, when the people of God are filled with the Spirit of God, they're generally full of laughter. Did you know that? They laugh about anything. It's a joy to be with the people of God as they laugh with the Spirit of God guiding them. But have you ever noticed the role of laughter in our culture? What has been the long-time medium of pornography in our country. It's burlesque. 
Some of you young people don't even know what the word means. Laughter. Laughter has long been the means, the most effective means, of pawning off lies and illusions and false teaching and false concepts upon people. Stop and think for a moment. Suppose you have an enemy. Suppose you have somebody that you really dislike. He's done you dirt and you want to get him back. What's the best way to do it? Face him face to face and call him the dirty so-and-so he is? Not a bit of it. What's the best way to do Oh, you know exactly what to do, don't you? The best way to put the knife in and then turn it is to make him the butt of a joke. And when you make him the butt of a joke, everybody laughs. And he, as he feels the knife go in, and as he feels it turns, and as it burns his guts, he can't do anything but laugh either. Or he's considered a sad sack. And you got him. You got him right over the barrel, and you're going to apply it hard. Laughter. The President of the United States can stand up and pronounce a policy, and people will denounce him. A comedian can stand up and pronounce another policy, and they say, it's a joke. But wait a minute. Nobody remembers what the President said. Millions will remember what the comedian said because laughter and the tricks of laughter are one of the best and most efficient teaching methods known to our culture. Laughter. See? And that's what he's trying to say to us. Laughter. He says, sorrow is better than laughter. For when a face is sad, the heart may be happy. Yes. Oh, how quickly. When pressure comes and sorrow comes, how quickly we are bringing a little bit of laughter here and, and cool it down. But dear ones, that laughter brings with it lies and deceits and turns us onto a street that is going nowhere. Better to go to the place where you can face the realities of life. You know that? than to go to the place that is just laughing and covers it all up and hides it from view. The streets that go nowhere are most full of laughter. But what happens when the laughter stops? And then he goes on and he says, the mind of the wise, in verse 4, the mind of the wise is in the house of mourning while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. Do you believe that? You know, this, this guy says things that are the challenges, don't they? Hmm? Let me translate it just a little bit. Let me read the same thing to you, this time in the language of the Apostle Paul. Turn with me to the book of Romans and in chapter 8. Romans and in chapter 8. Now you have the same thing being said, but this time in the language of the New Testament, which we seem to be able to assimilate much more easily. Look at it. Verse 5, Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh, the foolish, set their minds 
on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not, is, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Solomon said it, the mind of the wise is in the house of mourning. The mind of the fool is in the house of pleasure. Where is your mind centered? You see? The spiritual person recognizes that God does use laughter, but also he recognizes that God uses sorrow. Both are the tools of God, and both are used by God to bring out the likeness of Christ in us. But we do not flee from the path of sorrow and walk only in the path of laughter. The spiritual person realizes the Spirit of God will use the path of sorrow. We need to realize that we do not at all need to follow the path of laughter all the time. I remember one time I was out with a group of men and we were playing golf. There were three of us. And so the starter at the golf course put a fourth person with us. And we teed off and we played the first hole. As we got to the first green, we finished putting. And as we walked off the green, the man that had been put with us told us a zinger. It was a really funny story, but it was dirty. I, wanna, I was proud of those men. Not one of us cracked a smile. Not one of us lay. It was funny. <laughs> I still have the sore on my tongue where I bit it. You know, they come away, don't they? That's the whole point. When the devil tells one, he doesn't, he's no fool, he doesn't tell a dead one, he tells a real one. And I thank God for those men, they did not crack a smile. We walked to the tea and immediately took up another subject. We immediately began to talk together. We included this man in with us. We went on our way. We played the game, and we didn't hear one more, not one more smutty story all the way around. At the end of the game, we had a chance to share with the man about the things of Christ. And he came to us, and he said, Do you fellows play here often? He said, I'd sure like to play with you. I had a lot of fun today. My friend, you don't need the filth. You don't need the garbage of the world and its laughter. What you need is the voice of the Spirit and let God through the Spirit use the ministry of sorrow and the ministry of laughter in your life to produce His works and you don't need the lies of the devil. And then he tells us another one there. He says, look at it there in verse it is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than to listen than for one to listen to the songs of fools. For as the crackling of the thorn bush under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. 
instruction versus entertainment. The rebuke of the wise, we understand what that is, don't we? That quiet, firm, usually unobtrusive voice of a spiritually strong person challenging us to reconsider and reevaluate the attitude and actions we're involved in. We don't like the rebuke, but we see its value. Proverbs 25, 12 says, Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to the listening ear. And Proverbs 15, verse 31 says, He whose ear listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. And Psalm 141, 5 says, Let the righteous smite me in kindness and reprove me. It is, the, it is an oil for the head. Yes, we don't like reproof, but we know its value, and the wise man accepts it. Oh, but how often we turn from reproof. And instead of reproof, and instead of listening to it, or instead of even seeking it, what do we do? Why, well, we go to the songs of fools. What is the primary feature of our American culture today? Huh? The radio's never turned off. The music is always blaring. You say, well, what's wrong with that? Don't you like good music? Now, I remember, I'm not talking about rock or Bach or Lawrence Welk. I got nothing to say about the beat. But have you listened to the lyric of the music? Music is entertaining. Music is pleasing. Music does soothe. Music does relax. But music also teaches. As one listens to the rhymes of the song over and over, the message of the lyrics is being ingrained deep within the consciousness. What kind of music do you listen to? Again, I can tell you what's going into your ears. I can tell you what's going down to your heart. I can tell you what's building the philosophy of your life. Is it the Word of God or is it the music of fools? No, I'm not against music. But I want to tell you this, there's music of fools that feeds only the garbage of your life. Thank God there's another kind of music. There's a music spoke over and over in Psalm 137, 3 and 4. It's the songs of Zion. And God wants us to use them. People say, what do I do about my young people in music? I'm not concerned about your young people in music as so much I am with you, Mom. You don't like their beat? They don't like your beat. Listen to the junk they're listening to, but wait a minute. Listen to the junk you're listening to. It comes from the same garbage pail. The devil in the world. What are you listening to in your home? 
I thank God. I will thank God to my dying day, and yes, I'll thank God before the Lord. We were on a station when our first daughter was born, Ruthie. And you know, we had a, a nurse there named Betty Tyson. And as soon as our little girl was able to do anything, she would go over and sit with Betty Tyson, and she'd sit on Betty Tyson's knee, and Betty Tyson would sing to her the songs of Zion. And her heart was filled with the songs of Zion. When we left Africa the first time and came home, we stopped someplace en route, and we were there waiting in the airport for another plane, and my daughter was there, and she was singing away, and there was a soldier right across the, uh, the way from her, and she watched my daughter as she sang to her mother, and she said to my wife, she says, you have, your own, you have your own floor show, don't you? And my wife says, yes. And then the soldier said, and the songs she's singing are something else, because they were not the filth and the garbage of the world. They were the songs of Zion, and deep into her little heart had been planted the songs of Zion. What do you sing to your children? What do you sing to your children? You can start them on a street that goes nowhere by giving in the songs of fools rather than the songs of Zion. And then he tells us something else, and I have trouble with verse 7. I wonder what in the world is the connection here? For oppression makes a wise man mad, and a bribe corrupts the heart. And I look at that and I said, what in the world is it all about? Oppression is the, really the word X. You know, con what is it? <laughs> Extortion. But there's also is a word that is used for ordinary pressures that come into life. And as I read that and reread it and I tried to figure out what is he trying to say to us there, the point came very close to me. You can accept it the way you want to, but this is the way it came across to me. What is the first thing that flips us Christians off of walking down the straight way and flips us over to the way of Hollywood Boulevard? What is it? Oh, you hear it all the time. We say it one to another day in and day out. After all, there's just so much pressure one can take. Pressure makes even a wise man a fool. You know? I know God's given me my task. I know I'm supposed to find the joy of my life in my task. But Harold, don't you know that all work and no play makes Jack what? A dull boy. And so, what do we do? We take the bribe that corrupts the heart. Instead of letting God go on and build his life into us, what do we do? We take the song of fools. We take the house of feasting. We take the cover-up of cosmetics. What's your rub? Which way are you going? Look at verse 8. It challenges you with that very truth there. Look at it. For the end of a matter is better than its beginning. The patience of spirit is better than the haughtiness of the spirit. You've begun with Christ. 
You've begun with the Lord. You're walking with Him. But now which way are you going? Are you letting God build Christ into your life so that your public image is Christ-like? Are you walking through this life with the perspective of heaven filling your vision? Are you giving in to laughter, to, to the laughter syndrome with all its false fronts and lies and deceptions? Have you settled for that foolish, carnal life? Or are you trusting the Lord Jesus Christ to fill you with the Holy Spirit and build the Spirit of God, build spiritual things into your life? and give you the spiritual water to drink and the joy of the Spirit. What are you settling for? Are you accepting God's instructions even though it comes through pressures? Or are you caving in and taking the bribe of the song of fools and the house of feasting and the cover-up as cosmetics? Where are you going? What street are you walking on as you go out of this auditorium this morning? My prayer is that your heart, God, will move. There'll be a decision in your heart that you're going to stay in the street that Jesus has given to you. And you're going to let the Lord Jesus have control and the Spirit of God control you. And you want that in your life, and that's what you're determined you're going to have. And you're going to make a complete commitment of yourself to Him and walk out of Him filled with the Spirit and not walking down a street that goes nowhere.